According to Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports, he reports that the Big 12 is looking to continue their conference expansion by possibly adding six teams from the Pac-12. These teams are reported to be Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, Washington, and Oregon. Now, myself, along with many others out there, thought that after USC and UCLA left the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, that Washington and Oregon would be following them in their footsteps. But according to many reports out there, the Big Ten has no further interest in expansion until after Notre Dame makes a decision to either join their conference or remain a independent. Now, the Pac-12 is about to negotiate their new media rights deal with Fox and ESPN. Their current media rights deal is set to expire in 2022. The Big 12's media rights deal, however, doesn't expire until the year 2025. Now, when you look at what these potential six teams could bring to the Big 12, Utah, we know that they have a long-standing rivalry with BYU. It's called the Holy War. So that's going to bring a little bit of intrigue to this conference. Also, Utah is a program that is on the up. They have been really good over the last couple of seasons over Kyle Winningham. You look at Arizona and Arizona State by adding them, the Big 12 can expand into the Phoenix market. And then Washington and Oregon have been really great football programs over the past decade. Both of them have both appeared in the college football playoffs. And they have pretty solid markets for the Big 12 to expand into. You look at Washington, they're around the Seattle area, so you can expand into that market, which is pretty huge. You also have Oregon. And I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Both Washington and Oregon were recently ranked inside of Go Bacon Rates, most valuable college football programs based on their three-year average revenue prior to the 2020 college football season. Washington ranked 19th on that list at $92 and Oregon was tied for 15th with Florida State at $96 So these are two valuable programs that will bring a lot to the table for the Big 12. And even though the Big 12 may not be as recognizable as a conference when it comes to brand recognition, such as the Big 10 and the SEC, because the Big 10 has schools like Ohio State, Michigan, the SEC has Alabama. But I think that the Big 12 could be a pretty viable option if, Certain schools who are trying to get into the Big Ten or the SEC can't get in. I think the next best thing would be the Big 12. And for those of you guys who are college basketball fans, without a question, the Big 12 is going to have the best conference in all of college basketball. Now, also, you look at the fact that you already recently added Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, and Houston not too long ago. So I think that the Big 12 Conference has a lot of potential. You look at the fact that UCF is located in Orlando. You have a lot of theme parks, a lot of amusement parks. So that is going to bring in a lot of NIL opportunities for potential recruits, which should benefit UCF recruiting. Then you look at the fact that Houston is in the state of Texas. We already know how much money runs through the state of Texas. So with Houston being in the Big 12, it should increase their revenue. And then you got Cincinnati, who has showed a lot of promise. They have also, along with Washington and Oregon, have appeared in the college football playoffs. And BYU has a really big fan base, one of the more underrated fan bases in college football. And a lot of people overlook BYU. But you got to think about it. There's a reason why BYU Stadium sits 60,000 people. And you look at Arizona, Arizona State, a lot of people for a while have viewed those two programs as sleeping giants, programs that have a lot of potential because of the geography and 
the fact that they have a pretty good, easy access to recruiting in California. You also have some pretty good high school players who come out of that state as well. And then plus you have a huge alumni base. So if Arizona State or Arizona could find the right head coach, those are two programs that could have a good amount of potential in this conference as well. But what about Colorado? Because Colorado is the program that often a lot of people look at this report and they kind of overlook. They probably say, JT, what can the Big 12 do with Colorado? Well, Colorado has already been in the Big 12 conference before. So with them returning back to this conference, it allows the Big 12 to get back into that Colorado market, probably in the city of Denver, which Denver is really big when it comes to football fandom and also the state of Colorado in general. So for Colorado, the Buffs, you get into the Big 12 and that's also going to give them a little bit more recognition because when they left the Big 12 for the Pac-12, they never really became bigger from a name recognition standpoint. So the Big 12 should help them out in that department. And also, you're probably going to get more revenue. Now, for the Pac-12, if you're a fan of that conference, if this happens, then the conference is screwed. Because what's going to happen with Washington State, Oregon State, is this not really going to be enough to keep the conference alive? And even if you do add a school such as San Diego State or Boise State, the conference still is going to be done because there's really not going to be no entry. And if Washington and Oregon leave, it's wraps. So I think the best thing for the Pac-12, if this does end up falling through, probably would be to either merge with the conference, either try to merge with the Big Ten or the Big 12. And most likely, it would be merging with the Big 12 because it looks as if the Big 10 is only interested in getting Notre Dame. And then after that, they're trying to acquire some other teams. So for the Big 12, this is a conference that is going to be really stable. For conferences that can't cut it in the Big 10 or the SEC, this would be the next best thing. So... I think that the Big 12 is doing a lot of good things. I think they're doing a really good job of trying to stay alive in this crazy world that we're living in now of college football because we don't really know what's going to happen. Because there's some reports circulating around that the SEC could look to snag Miami, FSU, and Clemson from the ACC. And I think that the ACC most likely will be the next conference that gets rated. But for the Big 12, you got to give a round of applause to their commissioner for keeping this conference alive. Because when Texas and Oklahoma bolted for the SEC, many people thought that the Big 12 was done. But despite losing two of the biggest brands in college football, the Big 12 was able to find a way to survive. So a lot of applause for the Big 12. I'm interested in seeing if this ends up holding up because if you add Arizona and Arizona State, that is going to increase your reach on the West Coast. And then adding Washington, Utah, Oregon, I feel kind of would be the cherry on top. And if you're able to get a couple of more schools such as Oregon State, then you bring Oregon's rivalry along to the conference as well, which also is going to have some intrigue because even though Oregon State isn't one of the biggest schools when it comes to name recognition in the world of college football, you know, there still are fans out there who do enjoy watching Oregon State and Oregon play. And when you look at all of this conference realignment, there are going to be some rivalries that are going to end up getting left out. And a lot of people are just going to overlook them and say, you know what? Nobody really cares about Oregon and Oregon State, JT. Yeah, you may not care. You may not watch it. But I promise you that there are a lot of former alumni from both Oregon and the University of Oregon State who love watching that game. So I'm hoping that the Big 12 is able to make this deal happen. And for the Pac-12, it looks like things are starting to get even worse. And then I was also reading a article that was talking about the potential revenue deal that the Pac-12 is going to have. Now, if UCLA and USC would have stayed, their 
expected revenue deal was expected to be somewhere around 500 million. And with those two programs leaving this conference, it went down from an estimation of 500 million to 300 million. So things are not looking good for the Pac-12, which is why it's important that they're able to keep Oregon and Washington happy because if they leave, then everybody else leaves. What about Stanford and Cal? You know, the Big Ten also has some interest in Stanford because if they get Stanford, they think that it may boost up Notre Dame's interest in joining the Big Ten because then you keep that rivalry. And not only do you have that rivalry with Notre Dame, but you also have the rivalry with USC. So let me know how you guys feel about the potential further expansion of the Big 12 acquiring these six Pac-12 schools. NFL training camp is just around the corner. This is my favorite time of the offseason because when training camp comes around, that means that we're almost close to the start of the NFL season. Now, I wanted to give you guys some of my thoughts on the Pittsburgh Steelers going into training camp, some players that I'm going to be watching, some key position battles to keep your eyes on. Now, training camp for the Steelers kicks off on July 26th, so make sure that you guys keep that date in mind. If you look at maybe attending a couple of training camp sessions, so the first thing that we all are going to be having our eyes on is the quarterback battle between Kenny Pickett and Mitchell Trubisky. Now, at the moment, according to multiple reports out there, Mitchell Trubisky is QB1 heading into camp. Now, many people think that this is Mitchell Trubisky's job to lose. However, Mike Tomlin and offensive coordinator... Matt Canada have came out several times and said that this quarterback battle hasn't even been decided yet. Kenny Pickett during minicamp wasn't really being evaluated all that heavily. All he was really doing was getting his feet wet, learning the facilities, where everything is at, getting acclimated to the playbook, doing installs. So training camp is really when this quarterback battle is going to begin. Now, you guys already know my thoughts on this whole situation. I'm rooting for Kenny Pickett to be the starter. He was a first-round pick for a reason. He was labeled as the most pro-ready quarterback. I feel that he gives the Steelers the best chance to win. But if Mitchell Trubisky ends up beating out Kenny Pickett, then I trust Mike Tomlin's judgment. The question just is, how long will Trubisky remain the starting quarterback for the Steelers? Now, there are a lot of non-Steeler fans who have hit me up and said that oh, JT, Kenny Pickett was currently listed as the third quarterback on the Steelers' death chart. Isn't looking good for your boy. Listen, don't pay any attention to that. Just because somebody ranks third on the death chart doesn't mean deadly squad. Because I believe when Big Ben got drafted years ago, what was he, what, third or fourth on the death chart? So for Kenny Pickett, he's only third on the death chart because Mike Tomlin is trying to make him earn his spot on the team. If Kenny Pickett ends up becoming the starting quarterback for the Steelers week one against Cincinnati, it's not because Mike Tomlin and company gave it to him because they used the first round pick on him. He earned it. Same thing with Mr. Trubisky. So for those people who are out there and saying that it's Trubisky's job to lose, I kind of got to look at you with the rock eyebrow because Mike Tomlin doesn't just automatically give people starting jobs. You have to earn it. So I'm really interested in seeing how this quarterback battle plays out. The offensive line. Now, if you are somebody who is worried about the offensive line going into this season, you're probably going to remain worried because there's not really going to be too many position battles happening. The offensive line pretty much is set. Dan Moore is going to be getting the nod at left tackle this year. Now, last season, he was a rookie, and I guess the Steelers see a lot of potential in him. But he needs to improve in a lot of areas of his game. His pass blocking needs a lot of work because you guys remember what Miles Garrett did to this guy. It wasn't pretty. He also needs to improve run blocking as well. 
but hopefully he develops pretty well throughout training camp kevin dotson is going to get the start at left guard he was the Steelers' best offensive lineman last year i don't know if that means much when you consider how bad this unit was but it is worth a thought that Kevin Dotson is pretty good. I expect him to take a tremendous leap forward this year. And maybe he could end up being a potential pro bowler. Now, you signed James Daniels in the free agency. It was one of the Steelers' biggest free agency acquisitions over the course of this offseason. He was the Chicago Bears' best offensive lineman for over the last couple of years. So he definitely is going to be a tremendous improvement at right guard compared to the play that the Steelers got from that position last year from, who was it, Trey Turner? Then at right tackle, you're going to have Chooks Okorafor who the Steelers recently re-signed to a three-year extension worth $30 million. And a lot of Steelers fans were really upset with this signing. They felt that the Steelers tremendously overpaid for Chooks. But I mean, it isn't a deal that the Steelers are going to have a hard time getting out of. So after this season, if they decide to go in a different direction, they could find a way to move some things around and get out get out of this deal without facing a lot of cap penalty. Now, the thing with Chuck Sakura for is that he only gave up two sacks. So he was pretty good in pass protection. However, he had eleven penalties, which was tied for the second most out of any starting offensive tackle last year. And he also isn't really good when it comes to run blocking. So if he can improve his run blocking and cut down on the penalties, then hopefully he could be a pretty solid right tackle. But some people are going to say, well, JT, the Steelers didn't really have that much time to throw the football. Big Ben was throwing the football on an average of two point something seconds. So we didn't really get to see just how good Okorafor is in pass protection, which I do understand that. But most of the time, I don't really think that Chooks was all that bad in pass protection. I think that the run blocking is probably the part of his game that needs the most work. Now at center, this is pretty much the only position battle that we have at the moment when it comes to the off the line. And this is the most important position because the center position is pretty much the quarterback of the off the line. Nine times out of 10, if you have a really good center, you're going to have a really good offensive line. And if you don't have a really good center, your offensive line is most likely not going to be all that good. Now, the Steelers don't really have any promising candidates when it comes to this potential starter at this center position. It's going to be between Mason Cole and most likely Kendrick Green and whoever else they decide to bring in and throw into the fire at that spot. Now, Mason Cole was signed in free agency. He spent a couple of years with the Arizona Cardinals, and he spent last season with the Minnesota Vikings. Now, I've talked to a lot of Minnesota Vikings fans, and the majority of them said that Mason Cole is a solid backup, but if you need him to be your starter, then good luck. And when you look at Mason Cole... He is a pretty solid run blocker, but he's not all that great in pass protection, which is something that if you're a Steelers fan, you're shaking your head, you're saying, oh no, JT. <laughs> and I said the same thing when a lot of Vikings fans were telling me that. And when I watched a couple of games, when the Minnesota Vikings played the Green Bay Packers, wasn't pretty, wasn't pretty. So for Pittsburgh, you're getting somebody who's going to help you out in the run game, but he's really not going to give you all that much when it comes to pass protection. Now, me personally, with what I've heard and what I've seen from Mason Cole, I'm rooting that Kendrick Green can develop over the course of training camp. He's been spending some time down in Florida with the Pouncey brothers. Now, he hasn't been really doing any on-the-field workouts with them, but I guess they've been kicking him some game. They're kind of like his OGs that he gets advice from that he looks up to. So hopefully they gave him some advice on how to improve as a center overall. And hopefully he can end up starting and being an improvement because I don't really have a lot of confidence in Mason Cole. I don't understand what the Steelers were thinking by signing him unless he was brought in to be a death piece. But I mean, come on. 
we know how important the center position is. And I really don't understand why the Steelers would lowball at a position that's so important. So important. So I'm extremely worried for the center position. And I really don't think this offensive line is going to be all that improved because of how important this center position is. Because the key to having a great offensive line all starts at center. And if you don't have that, your offensive line is already at a disadvantage. So hopefully Kendrick Green can end up winning out and improving, being better than what he was his rookie season. Because you got to remember, when he was drafted in the third round out of Illinois, he was viewed more as a project player. And he was more of an offensive guard. So center wasn't really his natural position. He just had a little bit of experience playing center, but he had more experience playing guard. So he was still trying to get acclimated to the position. Hopefully he takes a tremendous step forward during training camp, but that's just wishful thinking on my part. Wide receiver. We already know about Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. Everybody wants to know about these new shiny toys that the Steelers got in the draft and George Pickens from the University of Georgia and Calvin Austin from Memphis. Now, George Pickens drafted round two of this past year's draft. He's a freak. He's 6'3", 195 pounds. He is a bigger and more skilled version of Martavis Bryant, in my opinion. You ask somebody who can get up and get those 50-50 balls. He can catch the ball through traffic. He's also really good after the catch. And then you have Calvin Austin. Calvin Austin was a fourth-round selection out of Memphis. He's undersized, so without a doubt, he's going to be a true slot receiver, but he's 5'8", 170 pounds, but he can move. He ran a 4-3-2, and he looks a lot faster than that end game. He also is a pretty solid route runner. He's pretty good when it comes to creating separation off the line. Now, if he gets matched up against a bigger, more physical slot corner, then he could find himself in some trouble. But we're most likely going to be seeing him used a lot in Matt Canada's offense as the guy who gets brought in motion, getting the ball on jet sweeps, handoffs, bubble screens, all that kind of stuff. So for Calvin Austin, we also potentially could see him returning kicks or punts, even though the Steelers did bring in Gunnar Oseski. That is another position about to look out for. So when it comes to George Pickens, he is going to be probably used as a big slot. That's what I've been hearing a lot coming out of many camps when it comes to Pickens' utilization in this offense. And him and Chase Claypool are also going to spend some time rotating, hanging out. Sometimes you may see Chase Claypool line up at a different position, and you may see George Pickens line up on the outside at where Chase Claypool normally plays that out. So for... George Pickens, when Mike Tomlin was asked about him, he said that George Pickens has a lot of talent, but he's still very raw and needs a lot of development. But of course, you already know Mike Tomlin loves to coach. So he said, that's what the coaches are here for. We're here to help these players develop and reach their full potential. So don't be surprised if you see George Pickens have a tremendous impact right away, because I don't know. What slot corner in the NFL will want to have to guard this big behemoth in the slot? But good luck. And most starting slot corners aren't really all that big. The average height of a starting cornerback in the NFL is 5'10". Maybe 6' if you're lucky. So when Cincinnati ends up facing off against Pittsburgh and Mike Hilton, our former Stiller, our beloved former Stiller, ends up having a matchup against George Pickens in the slot, Really interesting to see how that matchup goes. Because for George Pickens, this is somebody who is incredibly physical. He's a really good blocker in the run game. And on top of that, if he can improve his route running, he could become a true all-around wide receiver for Pittsburgh. And I think that he could potentially end up becoming better than Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson is really good, really skilled route runner. However, George Pickens with the size and the athleticism, he has a little bit more potential than Deontay on the outside. You also have Connor Hayward, who is the younger brother of Cam Hayward. He is a tight end slash fullback who was drafted in the sixth round out of Michigan State. And he had a pretty good minicamp. He caught a one-handed pass from Kenny Pickett 
in a two-minute drill. So can he beat out Zach Gentry for that tight end two spot? And on defense, I'm looking at rookie defensive lineman DeMarvin Lill out of Texas A&M. Now, he was drafted in the third round. He can play both DN and defensive tackle. However, I think that he's better at defensive tackle because I think that his athleticism at the position allows him a little bit more leeway to get into this Pittsburgh Steelers starting rotation. Because right now, you only really have Tyson Alualu, Chris Wormley, and Larry Ogunjobi. Now, Ogunjobi is coming off the best season of his career with the Cincinnati Bengals. He has seven sacks. He's also pretty good against the run. But Tyson Alualu is pretty much a really good run defender. When it comes to passing downs, he doesn't really bring you that much from a pass rush standpoint. So we could see DeMarvin Lill with a good training camp end up being a little bit of a factor when it comes to the pass rush rotation. At linebacker, we're all going to be watching Miles Jack and Devin Bush, especially Devin Bush coming off that ACL injury that he suffered the year prior to last. He didn't really look like himself in 2021. Hopefully with the hiring of Brian Flores as the linebackers coach, he's going to be able to get Devin Bush back to playing how he was prior to his ACL injury. He also signed Miles Jack in for agency. I was really excited about this signing. Miles Jack, before Urban Meyer arrived in Jacksonville, was pretty much a top five middle linebacker or top five inside linebacker in the NFL. He has good coverage skills. He's also pretty solid in the run game. And if the Steelers' defense is going to improve when it comes to stopping the run this year, the linebackers are going to be a huge part of that. A huge part of that. So, the last player that I'm going to be watching is going to be cornerback James Pierre. Now, James Pierre made a lot of noise throughout training camp during 2020, which was pretty impressive considering the fact that You didn't really have a lot of opportunities to show what you could do. You had limited reps because you had no preseason. And on top of that, James Pierre was undrafted. Now, I may be a little bit biased because he comes from the current university that I attend, Florida Atlantic University. So I'm going to be rooting for James Pierre. So he's somebody who is kind of just somebody that I'm going to be looking out for from a personal standpoint, just because I have intrigue in him because he's an FAU alum. Got to support my FAU alumni. So I'm looking out for him. He could be a pretty good deaf guy. I didn't really think that he was all that bad when he stepped in. He did have some down moments, but I also feel like he does still have a good amount of promise. So I know that he's not going to crack the starting lineup or anything, but he's still trying to is fighting for his spot on this roster kind of. So let me know what you guys think of the Pittsburgh Steelers heading into training camp. What are some players and position battles that you guys are going to be looking out for? Let me know down in the comment section down below. Are you going to be attending training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Let me know what day, what time. So a couple of days ago, I was scrolling through my news feed on Instagram, minding my business until I came across this post by on three now they were ranking their top five sec quarterbacks for this season and listen i understand that everybody is entitled to have their own opinion but whoever made this list for on three please stop just stop this list is just so disrespectful on so many levels jackson dart is at number five And he hasn't even taken a single snap of meaningful football for Ole Miss. And there's a legitimate chance that he may not even be the week one starter for Ole Miss because he's locked in a legitimate quarterback battle with Luke Altmaier. And then Spencer Rattler is at number two with a 97 overall. Listen, I love Spencer Rattler. I'm rooting for Spencer Rattler to succeed with South Carolina. I felt like he was done wrong by Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. But there's no way you can tell me that Spencer Rattler is the second best quarterback in the SEC, better than Will Levis or KJ Jefferson. This list is just so disrespectful. So this motivated me to make my own top five SEC quarterback rankings going into the 2022 college football season. Now, 
I know that a good amount of you guys are going to disagree with me, but at least this list is going to be a little bit better than what I just saw made by On3. Because this list is embarrassing in my opinion. So let's start off at number five. I have Mississippi State quarterback Will Rogers. Will Rogers was a really good quarterback last season. As a matter of fact, you probably could say that he is the most underrated quarterback in this conference going into this season. He threw 36 touchdowns to only nine interceptions and completed 73.9% of his passes, along with throwing for 4,739 passing yards and Mike Leach's air raid offense. Now this season, Mississippi State does have some question marks when it comes to their wide receiving core. They're going to have some guys who need to step up, but you do have a really good offensive line. So I think that Will Rogers at the moment is the fifth best quarterback in the SEC. Coming in at number four, I have KJ Jefferson, Arkansas quarterback who's coming off a really fantastic season. Last year was his first year starting at quarterback for the Razorbacks, and he was really impressive. He had only four interceptions, completed 67% of his passes, and had 21 touchdowns. Not only that, but he was a really good runner when he decided to tuck the football. He had six touchdowns and 664 rushing yards on the ground for Arkansas in 2021. He was one of the best dual threat quarterbacks in college football. Now, you look at him going into this season. Yes, Arkansas does have some uncertainty at the wide receiver position outside of Oklahoma transfer Jaden Hazelwood, you need some players to step up. However, Arkansas does have a good amount of talent in the wide receiver room. It's just that we don't know who's going to come out and produce for the Razorbacks this year. But for KJ Jefferson, if he continues to improve as a passer, he's going to end up probably being a dark horse Heisman candidate this year. Because he's that good. On top of that, he has phenomenal size. You're pretty much looking at somebody who should be a NFL prospect come the 2024 NFL draft when him and Caleb Williams decide to declare. He's kind of built like Cam Newton in a sense. He's what, 6'5", 230, 240? He's afraid. And he was really efficient with the football. He didn't have too many turnovers, although he did have some areas of his game, such as his accuracy, that was a little bit spotty at times. Overall, he was really good for the Razorbacks in his first season starting at Arkansas. And we can only expect for him to continue to develop as a passer going into this season. So he comes in at number four for me. At number three... We have Will Levis. Now, Will Levis was pretty solid last year for Kentucky. He has a strong arm. He has a really good prototypical size that you like to see out of a NFL draft prospect at the quarterback position. Really good intangibles for the position. He's a good athlete. He can extend plays. He can also pick up yards with the ground. He's way more athletic than what a lot of people give him credit for. He reminds me a lot of Josh Allen. Now, he had 24 touchdowns and 13 interceptions, so he has to lower that turnover number down. But he throws a pretty nice deep ball. And on top of that, he also contributed on the ground game for the Wildcats with nine touchdowns and 376 rushing yards. He also threw for 2,876 passing yards through the air. So Will Levis is the third best quarterback in the SEC me and on three so far, we agree with who the third and fourth quarterbacks are in this conference. However, when you look at number two, and this may be the most disrespectful of them all, that on three decided to just leave off their list. And that is Tennessee Vols quarterback, Hendon Hooker. If you guys have been following the JT Sports podcast over the course of this offseason, you guys know what our mantra is over here. Hendon Hooker for Heisman. Either he wins it or nobody else does. I cannot believe that on three left Hendon Hooker off their top five. Hendon Hooker was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in college football last year. 31 touchdowns to only three interceptions while completing 68.2% of his passes on three. What are you doing? 
what are you doing? How can you weave off Hidden Hooker, man? Hidden Hooker is the sole reason why so many people are so hyped about what Tennessee can do this season. He's a dark horse Heisman contender. And you don't even think that he's better than Jackson Dart? Come on, R3. It's just so disrespectful. You guys don't know how mad it made me that R3 left Hidden Hooker off their list. And you look at the wide receivers that he's going to be throwing to this year. You have Cedric Tillman who's coming back, who is one of the best receivers in the SEC this year. You have USC transfer, Bro McCoy. And then you have Josh Heupel there. Like, this offense is going to be fantastic this season. On top of that, Tennessee is going to have a very good offensive line. Hendon Hooker is really accurate. Now, he may not have the arm that Will Levis or Spencer Rattler have, but he is really accurate when it comes to throwing the football short and intermediate. Now, his deep ball accuracy probably could use a little bit of improvement. But other than that, this is the second best quarterback in the SEC, in my opinion. On top of that, he is a really good runner. He had five touchdowns and 620 rushing yards last season on the ground for Tennessee. This guy is Tennessee football at the moment. And if it wasn't for Hendon Hooker, I don't think many of us would be as high on Tennessee football going into this year without him. Because he was sensational. And remind you that he didn't even start right away for Tennessee. So for Hendon Hooker, the fact that he is continuing to get so much disrespect is beyond me. How do people not recognize how good Hendon Hooker is? It's crazy because there's no way that you can watch the Tennessee Vols game last season and not be amazed by Hendon Hooker. And they put Spencer Rattler... And Jackson Dart over him? If Ole Miss and South Carolina had to choose between their current quarterbacks and Hendon Hooker, I'm pretty sure they would be taking Hendon Hooker. He's so underrated, man. It really hurts my soul on the Hendon Hooker disrespect. More people need to put some respect on Hendon Hooker's name. I'm tired of seeing him being overlooked. I'm tired of seeing him not being on these top five quarterback rankings like... I question, were some people even watching SEC football last year? This dude was sensational. And at number one, we have the Heisman Trophy winner from last year, Bryce Young. Don't really have to say too much. Bryce Young kind of carried Alabama football on his back. We already know that last year wasn't the most talented Alabama team that we have seen under Nick Saban. But for some reason, they were able to find a way to get to national championship. And Bryce Young was a large reason for that. Not only that, but they put off the upset against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Because remember, a lot of people other than Alabama fans thought that Georgia was going to beat Alabama and they were going to beat them comfortably. Not only did people think that Bama was going to lose to Georgia, but there was a lot of people out there who thought that Georgia was going to beat Alabama by at least two scores or more. And the large reason why they were able to prove a lot of people wrong in that SEC championship game was because of the performance by Bryce Young. And even then in the college football playoffs, despite being down at one point, two of his best receivers, the guy still showed a lot of fight. He was still making plays. Bryce Young is the best quarterback in the SEC, probably the best quarterback in college football. Some people will argue that with... CJ Stroud and I wouldn't get mad at you for that but Bryce Young we already know not too much needs to be said so this is my list of the top five quarterbacks in the SEC going into the 2022 college football season give me your thoughts down in the comment section down below on my rankings who's too high who's too low who got left off who should be on you could say Anthony Richardson but Anthony Richardson had a small sample size last year. He has a lot that he has to prove this year to us, even though I do think that he's going to end up being really good. The sample size was just too low for him to be on this list. So make sure that if you're listening to this on podcast, that you go ahead and leave a five-star review. If you're listening to this on YouTube, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast, available on all podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Spotify podcast, Google podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, the JT Sports podcast is available. Now, a couple of episodes ago, I released my top 10 offenses going into the upcoming 2022 NFL season. Make sure that you guys go ahead and check that out. And now I'm here with my top 10 defenses going into the 2022 NFL season. And before I start, after you guys get done watching this, let me know what teams you think are too high, who's too low, who got left off the list that should be on here, and explain why. Because too many times I would read the comments and I would just see a lot of people calling me an idiot for having their team ranked too low or being left off the list. And they wouldn't tell me why. Give me an explanation for why said team should be higher or for why said team should be on the list. Calling me an idiot doesn't give me any insight for why you feel your team should be higher. So let's start off at number 10 with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals defense was underrated last season. This was probably the most underrated defensive unit in the NFL last year. It was a large reason why they had the Cinderella run that they had in the postseason, beating the Las Vegas Raiders in the wildcard round, upsetting the Tennessee Titans on the road, and beating the Kansas City Chiefs for the second time that season in the AFC Championship game. And if you go back and you watch that AFC Championship game, the Bengals defensive coordinator made some phenomenal second-half adjustments, and they shut down Kansas City's offense. I believe Patrick Mahomes only had 55 total passing yards and two interceptions in the second half of that game. So the Bengals defensive coordinator deserves a lot of credit and a lot of praise. And I think it's only a matter of time before he ends up getting a head coaching job because he has done a phenomenal job with this defense. You have Sam Hubbard and Trey Hendrickson, which Trey Hendrickson is coming off back-to-back consecutive double-digit sack seasons. He's probably one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, at least top five or top seven. You have DJ Reader, B.J. Hill, Logan Wilson, and Jermaine Pratt really came on during the postseason. And I think that if they can continue that level of play that they had in the playoffs and they bring that into the regular season, I think that this defense is going to potentially be top five. But the reason why I have them at number 10 is because, yes, I do like Chidobia Wuzie. Eli Apple isn't that great. He was okay last season. He wasn't as bad as what a lot of people make him out to be. But I would have loved to see the Cincinnati Bengals upgrade from Eli Apple. Now you do have Mike Hilton at slot. He's probably one of the best slot cornerbacks in the NFL. Maybe the best, depending on who you ask. And you do have rookie corner who they drafted out of Nebraska and Cam Taylor Britt. But Their cornerback positioning is the reason why I have them at number 10 with a love for them to improve from Eli Apple. Even though he was okay last year, I felt they could have upgraded. And if they would have done that, they would have been a lot higher on this list. At safety, you have Von Bell, pretty solid, and Jesse Bates, who happens to be one of the best safeties in the league and due for a new contract. San Francisco comes in at number 9. D'Amico Ryans is pretty underrated as a defensive coordinator. He did a really good job with a defense that had not a lot of talent in that cornerback. They had some injuries as well. The defense still played really good. You have Nick Bosa, Rick Armstead. That's a really good tandem when it comes to the pass rush. You have Javon Kinlaw, who I think could end up breaking out this year. He's kind of been held back with injuries and not so great play. But I think if he can get back to 100% and he can improve, I think that he could end up having a big year in 2022 for the Niners. At linebacker, you are really deep and really loaded at this position. You got Drake Kenlaw, Fred Warner, um, Aziz Alshair, who comes from my current university, FAU, so I have to support my FAU alumni. And that cornerback, I mean, this is probably the deepest and most talented that the 49ers have been at this position since they last appeared in the Super Bowl. You have Emmanuel Mosley, 
Travaris Ward, who you signed in free agency. He was really good for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was pretty much their best cornerback. DeQuest Denard, interested in seeing what he does in the slot if he gets a start there. But you also have Jason Verrett. And Jason Verrett has been really good for the 49ers when he's been on the field. However, he hasn't really had the best of luck when it comes to being able to stay healthy. So hopefully if he can stay healthy, he can have a contribution in this secondary as well. You have Ambry Thomas who had some experience last year. So hopefully going into 2022, he is a little bit better than what he was in 2021. And you still have Jimmy Ward at safety. Indianapolis Colts come in at number eight on my top 10 defensive rankings for this season. Their defensive line is really good. You have Quiddy Pay, who had four sacks as a rookie in 2021. Grover Stewart, who's really good against the run. You have DeForest Buckner, who's coming off his third Pro Bowl appearance in his NFL career. Yannick Ngakwe was recently traded from LA, well, Las Vegas, excuse me, to Indianapolis, and he had 10 sacks. And I was a little surprised that the Las Vegas Raiders decided to trade him away and they ended up signing Chandler Jones. You know, Chandler Jones is really good. He is an upgrade from Yankee Gakwe. But I mean, Yankee Gakwe is probably one of the more underrated pass rushers in the league. He is a guy who you can consistently count on to give you eight or more sacks year in and year out as long as he stays healthy. Then you have Isaiah Rogers at cornerback, which last year in his second season, he had three interceptions and seven pass breakups. And he was a big surprise for Indianapolis. I wasn't expecting him to be that good. Then you signed Stephon Gilmore in free agency. He was really good with the Carolina Panthers and the few games that he appeared in for them. And with him coming into a already pretty good cornerback position, you're going to have Kenny Moore playing that nickelback slash slot role for the Colts. So this is a really good secondary linebacker outside of Darius Leonard. I'm not really sold on Bobby Okarike. I think they probably could upgrade from him. And if they would have done that, they would have been a little bit higher. Also, the safety position, not really all that keen on. You have Rodney McLeodo, who is 30 years old. Julian Blackman, he's solid. So... This is a Colts team that has a really good defensive line, coupled with the fact that you have Darius Leonard, who is one of the best players at his position in the NFL, a solid secondary, would have loved for them to upgrade at safety and probably find another good linebacker to pair up other than Bobby Okarike with Darius Leonard. But overall, despite the fact that they lost defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus, they're going to be replacing him with Gus Bradley, who did a pretty good job with the Las Vegas Raiders defense. So this defense comes in at number eight for me. At number seven, we have the Cleveland Browns. The Browns have one of the best secondaries in the NFL. You have Denzel Ward, Greedy Williams, Greg Newsom as your three starting cornerbacks. Then at safety, Grant Delpit, John Johnson. This is one of the most talented defensive back groups in the whole entire NFL. They have a lot of depth, a lot of talent. If one of their starting safeties goes down for injury, you have Ronnie Harrison who can step in and play. At linebacker, outside of Jeremiah Owusu-Kamora, not really all that thrilled with what they have there, which is kind of the reason why they weren't a little bit higher. I really was close to putting them inside of the top five, but linebacker really kind of brought them down a little bit. But I do like JOK. You got Miles Garrett. Probably the second or third best defensive player in the NFL, depending on who you ask. He's going to be in the running for a defensive player of the year this year. Maybe he's finally able to win the award. You have Jadavion Clowney coming off a bounce back season. So this Browns defense is really good. They have a lot of talent. And if linebacker was just a tad bit better behind JOK, they probably would have finished inside of my top five, maybe on my top three, because this secondary is loaded and incredibly talented. 
The Pittsburgh Steelers come in at number six. You can always count on the Steelers to have a really good defense. Even though last year it took a little bit of a step back because they had one of the worst run defenses in the NFL. That was due to not so great linebacker play. Also the fact that you dealt with a good amount of injuries on the defensive line such as Stephon Tewitt, he didn't play last season. He's now retired. Tassin Aluoglu also missed time due to injuries as well. Now with the fact that you have Aluoglu back, that's going to help the run game improve. You also signed Larry Okunjobi in free agency a couple of weeks ago. He had a career year with the Cincinnati Bengals. He recorded seven sacks. He's also pretty good against the run. Chris Wormley was a very big surprise last season because when the Steelers first traded for him in the trade with the Baltimore Ravens, I was like, uh, I I don't really see the point because anytime a team is willing to just give you a player off their roster inside your division and your arch rival, he can't be good, but he actually was. And he had seven sacks last year. So He's going to factor into this pass rush rotation. We already know about Cam Hayward, one of the best interior defensive linemen in the NFL. TJ Watt, the reigning defensive player of the year. Alex Highsmith was incredibly underrated last year. Really underrated. He was really good when it came to getting pressure on the quarterback. And he probably could have had double-digit sacks as well. But there was so many great pass rushers on this defense that... Anytime he would get to the quarterback, sometimes he would end up creating the opportunity for somebody else to get credited with the sack. But Alex Highsmith had a really impressive 2021 campaign. Linebackers where this defense needs to improve at. Now, they brought in Miles Jack. They signed him to a two-year deal. And you also have Devin Bush. Devin Bush last season was coming back from that ACL injury that he suffered in the year prior, and he looked like a shell of himself. And along with Miles Jack, Miles Jack before 2021 was one of the best linebackers in the NFL. And then Urban Meyer came along and just ruined him like he did the whole entire Jacksonville Jaguars team last year. So with Miles Jack and Devin Bush, you have two linebackers who are looking to bounce back. And I think that they will due to the fact that the Steelers brought in Brian Flores to be on their coaching staff. He's going to be coaching up the linebackers. And a lot of people have raved about what Brian Flores has done so far with the Steelers defense, especially when it comes to the linebackers in particular. He was a large reason why Miles Jack decided to come to Pittsburgh. So I think that Brian Flores being the linebackers coach and working with these linebackers individually is going to pay off this season. And that's why I have the Steelers so high. Now, I understand that a lot of people aren't going to be all that thrilled about the cornerback position, but Levi Wallace was the Buffalo Bills' best cornerback last season when Tredavious White went down with his injury. It was pretty much the best season of his pro career up to that point. So he's coming into Pittsburgh. He's going to be probably the second-best cornerback on this team behind Akilo Weatherspoon. And Akilo Weatherspoon was a huge surprise because... I don't think nobody expected him to be that good. You know, this is somebody up to this point that has had a pretty okay NFL career, but he went to Pittsburgh and he really flipped the switch. You also have Cam Sutton, Arthur Millette, who had a couple of key interceptions for the Steelers down the stretch last season. So although this isn't a cornerback group that's going to blow many people away, this is a cornerback group that did have a good amount of success last season. They were able to come away with turnovers as well, and I expect that to continue this season and 2022. At safety, you have Minka Fitzpatrick, who recently got paid one of the best safeties in the game. Terrell Edmonds is the most underrated player on the Pittsburgh Steelers. He gets a lot of a lot of flack from fans. Anytime there's a big play, everybody's quick to blame Terrell Edmonds. But a lot of people have to realize that Terrell Edmonds does his job for what the Steelers ask him to do. They're asking him to be a enforcer in the run game. Come down the box, help out, bracket against tight ends, and help out in run support. And he does that pretty well. And Terrell Edmonds has gotten better every single season that he's been in Pittsburgh. Now, he may not have played up to the level that you would have hoped 
when you draft the safety in the first round. When you draft the safety in the first round, you're expecting Duran James. But he's been pretty solid up to this point. I think that maybe since he has continued to improve so much over the last couple of years that he maybe ends up improving and becoming a pro bowler this season. But the Steelers come in at number six. Some people are probably going to say that the Steelers deserve to be a little bit lower, but the fact that this defense has always been so good year in and year out at getting consistent pressure on the quarterback, I have to put them at number six because it's a passing league. The name of the game is being able to slow down opposing teams' quarterbacks, and the Steelers do a really good job at that, creating havoc behind the ladder scrimmage and getting the quarterback down for a lot of sacks. At number five, I have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're getting down to the nitty-gritty. It was really tough to start ranking these teams, but the Buccaneers have to be at number five. Some people may believe that they are a little bit too high considering how the defense played last year, but you got to remember that the Buccaneers were really banged up at one point. They were guys coming off the street who had to play cornerback. You had old man Richard Sherman back there at corner. That didn't really work out all that well. So there were a good amount of injuries that the Buccaneers faced on defense last year, which was a reason for the slight drop-off that they had. But this was still a defense that was pretty good at times. They're still going to be really good up front. You got William Golston, Via Veda, Akeem Hicks. You also have Joel Teron, who we are expecting to get a big, big amount of snaps this season. And I think that he's going to be really good. And he was a first-round pick for the Buccaneers. Then, you got to remember, Shaq Barrett's still here. He had 10 sacks last season. So, with Shaq Barrett there getting a lot of attention on the edge, that probably should open up room for Joe Teron, who was a first-round pick coming out of Washington in the previous draft. Then, you still have one of the best linebacking cores in the NFL with Devin White. Although he isn't that great in pass coverage, hopefully he continues to improve that aspect of his game. Outside of pass coverage, he does everything that you need him to do from the linebacker position. He has great speed. He's a great sideline-to-sideline linebacker. Really good at stopping the run. And then he's a really good blitzer. Rather you want to blitz him off the edge or blitz him up the gap, he can do it all other than cover. Then you have Levante David, who is one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Carlton Davis, Jamal Dean are back again at cornerback. Both these two cornerbacks are pretty underrated, in my opinion. You look at the safety position with Antoine Winfield, Mike Edwards. You did lose Jordan Whitehead, but either Mike Edwards, Logan Ryan, or Keanu Neal could end up stepping into that position if he doesn't perform. So this Buccaneers defense... They have always been really good at stopping the run. And if they're able to stay fully healthy this season, this pass defense also should be really good as well. And I think Joe Teron is going to be a name that a lot of people aren't going to know, but you're going to know it by the end of this upcoming season because I think he's going to be an absolute stud for the Bucks this season. Overall, if you're talking about some of the most talented defenses in the NFL from a pure talent standpoint, the Buccaneers have to be in your top five. At number four, I have the Green Bay Packers. Now, A lot of people are probably going to feel that the Green Bay Packers should be in the top three, which I will understand, but the teams that I had above them were just a little bit more talented, in my opinion, but their defensive line is going to be really good. You got Devontae Wyatt, he's going to be a stud, Kenny Clark, Jaron Reed, Dean Lowry had a pretty nice year in 2021, you got Ricky Quay Walker, you got Devondre Campbell, and Rashawn Gary is really starting to come into his own, he had nine sacks last season, this is somebody who potentially could end up going over double digits this season, maybe he ends up getting to 12 or 13, Preston Smith also was really good. So the front seven should be really good. This is probably one of the better front sevens in the NFL. Eric Stokes was one of the best rookie cornerbacks in the NFL last season. Then you pair him up with Jair Alexander, who is one of the best cornerbacks in the league. This is a really good cornerback group. Then you have Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, one of the best safety duos in the NFL. The Green Bay Packers. From a talent standpoint, this is one of the most talented defenses in the NFL. And probably the most talented defense maybe in the NFC. But 
As I said, the teams that I have above them, I just felt were slightly more talented, but they come in at number four for me. At number three, we have the Baltimore Ravens. Now listen, I understand that the Baltimore Ravens defense wasn't all that great last year. They were really good against the run, but when it came to their pass defense, they weren't good. They recently got rid of Wink Martindale, who is now with the New York Giants. But you replace him with former Michigan defensive coordinator Mike McDonald. Now, McDonald was Michigan's defensive coordinator during last season for the Wolverines. He was a large reason why David Ajabu and Aiden Hutchinson had so much success, along with Daxton Hill. And Michigan had one of the best defenses in college football on the run to the college football playoffs. Now he's back with the Baltimore Ravens, and this defense is really talented. Now, you got to remember, last year they had a lot of injuries. Marcus Peters was out for the year. Marlon Humphrey had some games that he missed. He was also pretty banked up as well. So with everybody coming back fully healthy, I expect this pass defense to improve tremendously. And also, you signed Kyle Fuller. Now, I understand that Kyle Fuller isn't, the Kyle Fuller that we remember in the past when he was at his best with the Chicago Bears. However, with him playing in the slot, I definitely feel it's going to be an upgrade there for Baltimore. It's not as if you're asking him to guard the best wide receivers anymore. You're basically asking him to guard slot guys who typically tend to be a little bit more smaller and agile. And I think that Kyle Fuller would be a good fit in the slot for the Baltimore Ravens along with Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. Then you have... Marcus Williams, who you stole in free agency for a really good deal, and you also stole Kyle Hamilton, 14th overall in this past year's NFL draft, rookie out of Notre Dame. In my opinion, Kyle Hamilton was the most talented player coming out of this past year's NFL draft. You can play him inside the box. You can play one high with him, two high. He can guard tight ends one-on-one and man coverage. He can guard running backs coming out of the backfield. You can blitz them off the edge. He's long. He's rangy. When you put him inside the box in certain packages, nickel and dime, he pretty much is another linebacker. I mean, if you watch some of his highlights and you see him inside the box, He does a lot of work, like a lot of work. It's just really impressive watching Kyle Hamilton play inside of the box near the line of scrimmage. And with how talented this secondary is, it's a large reason why I have them at number three. I think that this is the most talented secondary in the NFL when it comes to their starters with Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Marcus Williams, and Kyle Hamilton. Now, linebacker, you have Patrick Queen, who is pretty good. He still is improving when it comes to his pass coverage. You got Josh Bynes, who also is really good there. So to me, I think that this is the third most talented defense in the NFL. And I project this defense to be really good this upcoming NFL season. At number two, we have the Buffalo Bills. I've seen a lot of people have the Buffalo Bills ranked a lot lower on their top 10. But when you look at this team from a talent standpoint, I mean, you have arguably the best safety tandem in the NFL. Michael Hyde, Jordan Poirier. You got your Davis White coming back. You have Kyer Elam, who you drafted in the first round of this past year's draft out of Florida. He was one of the best cornerbacks coming out. And pretty much he could end up being your number one if you needed him to be. So you pretty much have two number one cornerbacks in White and Elam. You have Teron Johnson, who has now started to emerge as one of the five best slot cornerbacks in the league. Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds are a really good linebacker duo. A lot of people view Tremaine Edmonds as a bust. He's not a buzz. He may not be as good as what you expect him to be since he was drafted in the first round, but he does his job for what the Buffalo Bills need him to do on this defense. Now, I'm really excited about this defensive line. Ed Oliver has started to become a monster for the Buffalo Bills over the last two seasons. Then you have Von Miller, who you signed in free agency. Don't let the age fool you. Von Miller is still one of the best edge rushers in the NFL, as we saw in the Super Bowl. And then... You have Gregory Russo, who had a surprisingly good rookie season. And I think that Gregory Russo could end up being a 9, maybe 10-sack guy this year for the Buffalo Bills. You also have A.J. Epinesa. 
Boogie Basham. So you have a lot of depth and a lot of talent on the defensive line. The Buffalo Bills had the number one defense in the NFL last season, statistically under defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier for a reason. It's not just because of their scheme, but it's also because they have a lot of talent and have a lot of depth at almost every single position on this defense. At number one, I have the New Orleans Saints. The New Orleans Saints, man, they have not only a lot of talent, but they have a lot of depth at pretty much every single position. Safety, linebacker, defensive line, corner. I mean, when you look at their secondary, this is the most talented secondary in the NFL. And I know I said this about the Baltimore Ravens, but I said that about the Baltimore Ravens when it comes to their starters. When you're looking at the New Orleans Saints, they have one, two, three, four, five cornerbacks on their rosters who could be starters as either a number one or a number two on other teams. Paulson Adebo had a pretty solid rookie season. Now, he has some ups and downs on the way, but last year in his first season coming out of Stanford, I thought he was pretty good. You have Marshawn Lattimore. Marshawn Lattimore has been one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL ever since he was drafted. C.J. Gardner-Johnson, a.k.a. Mr. Deuce Deuce himself, is one of the best slot cornerbacks in the NFL. You also have Bradley Roby, who... Should be a starter somewhere else. If the New Orleans Saints wanted to trade him, they could get pretty good compensation in return. You got P.J. Williams, who also is pretty solid in the slot. And then you got Honey Badger and Marcus May and free agency. And I didn't even know that the New Orleans Saints had signed Marcus May. Marcus May is really underrated. One of the more underrated safeties in the NFL. So when you look at this secondary in terms of talent and depth, I don't think no other team in the NFL has what the Saints have at the secondary position. Look at linebacker. Pete Warner was pretty good last season. Demario Davis is still one of the best linebackers in the NFL. Then on the defensive line, you have Cam Jordan, David Ayumeda, and Marcus Davenport has really started to come on. I mean, Davenport, even though he now only has four fingers, he had nine sacks last season. Really, really phenomenal for New Orleans. He's now starting to come on. So for the Saints, in my opinion, I think that they're going to have the best defense in the NFL. Dennis Allen is now their head coach. He's been their defensive coordinator for the last couple of years. And the defense has been really good under him. Remember how bad this defense was before he took over? I think that this defense has so much depth and so much talent that I just think this is going to be the best unit in the league. So let me know how you guys feel about my top 10 NFL defenses going into the 2022 NFL season. I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Make sure that you like the video, subscribe to the channel for more content, upload NFL videos and college football videos daily. Also, make sure that you check out the JT Sports Podcast available on all podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, the JT Sports Podcast is available.